Welcome to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver. I think I need to use the bathroom. I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapy associate, your mechanic. Which leaves you, listener, in the driver's seat. Buckle up, let's hit the road. Today is from Kate Stewart. A true relationship is two imperfect people who refuse to give up on each other. Last week we were talking about measuring our relationships. I am delighted to report that my marriage is doing great. Top marks all around, at least from my point of view. At the end of last week's episode, we were trying to figure out how we would manage measuring all these relationships and taking care of the rest of life. So how do you sort out what to do and when to do it? Well, there are really only two things that any of us truly has in our life and that we can ever really give to another person, and that's our time and our attention. This is the core of what love is behaviorally. When you think about it a minute and you think about someone that you truly felt loved by, I would bet you you would notice that that person invested time and attention in you. They really saw you, understood you, or at least tried to, and interacted with you. It may not have been thousands of hours. It may have only been a few hours. But they were completely present with you. That is the gift of love. So how do you get that? The first thing you have to do is take care of yourself. That's the center point in all of the priorities because you are always present in all the relationships that you have. Whoa, does that mean it's my fault everything's failed? No, fault is not an important concept. You are responsible for the behaviors you engage in and the choices you make. And I try to make good ones. We're getting better every day. There you go. What's the difference between time and attention? Because it seems like if you're paying attention to something, you're by default also paying time to it. And if you're giving something your time, you're probably paying attention to it. There's some varying levels there, but... So let me give you a story. Um, I was working with a dad who said, yeah, I spent a lot of time with my kids. But the kids weren't demonstrating behaviors that suggested that dad spent a lot of time with his kids. So I dug deeper and said, well, so describe to me what you're doing when you're spending time with them. He's sitting in the bonus room. He's watching a ball game on the TV and they're playing over there with their toys. The time was spent in the same room, but there was no attention spent. Right. And I, but I would say that's not spending time with the kids. So if you are spending time on a thing, he's spending time on the ball game. His attention is on the ball game. How is there, to me, like they're very similar things. I have trouble separating that. Like if I, if I'm being honest about how I'm spending my time, right? Yes. So is it more of an honesty thing, honesty with yourself? Like, oh, I'm spending time doing this, but really my attention is elsewhere. Right. So the next time you go to a restaurant, nice restaurant, and you see couples in the restaurant, see how many of them are actually interacting with one another. See how many of them are actually making eye contact. There will be a huge number of couples you see in there who are spending time together. They're on a date, but not interacting with one another. Okay. So it's empty. Right. Cool. 
So taking care of self and really focusing on where am I spending my time and attention, and it's not just time, and it's not parallel play where I'm in the same space with you, but actually interactive play. I'm seeing who you are, and I'm letting you see who I am. That's the first part, right? We have to take care of ourselves so that we have time and attention. What are some of the other elements of priority? In order to know, number one, you have to get a hold of your time and your attention, right? Because time and attention aren't the same thing. Uh, once you get a hold of your time and attention, you now have the capacity to be present with other people and to be a powerful source of change in their life. That's your relationship to yourself. To do that, you have to take care of you. You have to have enough food, exercise, rest, um, meaningful work in your life. Those things all give you the resilience and the ability to, to be present to other people. If you've got that going really well, then the next circle that comes out is your spouse, the person you've chosen to spend the rest of your life with. That's a critical, I mean, that's a critical relationship. Most people don't enter into it saying, hey, I want to get divorced in seven years. Well, then you better damn well take care of it. The next circle out is your kids. They're really important. They depend on you and you chose to bring them into the world. But you really can't take care of them unless you take care of your spouse and you can't take care of your spouse unless you take care of yourself. Once you've gotten out past the kids, then work because that's what supports that whole family system. After work comes this the extended family, your parents, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins, second cousins, third cousins, fourth cousin, twice removed. All those people come in that group, including some of your closest friends. And then outside of that comes your community. These might be community organizations that you're a part of. This might be friends that are not quite best friends, neighbors, those folks. In these concentric circles, radiating out from this powerful center of a self that does great self-care, the relationships stay healthy. I have a question about that relationship with work because you mentioned that having fulfilling work is part of taking care of yourself, but it's also a layer of this circle that's outside of your immediate family layers, outside of your spouse, outside of your children. So how can it be both? Um, if you're, if it's one of your main core priorities and taking care of yourself, but then it's less important than some of your other priorities. How, how does that work? So it's, it's complicated. Work can suck up all of your time and then you have nothing for your kids and you have nothing for your spouse and you end up having nothing for yourself because work will always accept anything that you give it. If you work an extra, you know, 50%, another 20 hours a week, there are no jobs that are going to say, oh, 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 Ben, go home. They're not going to say that. They're going to, there should be, but they don't. They don't. They'll accept it. And they'll say, look, we got 50% more work for free. So you have to have the boundaries that say, you know, I made an agreement with work that I would do these things in exchange for this amount. And that's what you do. And then you reserve your time for your taking care of yourself, the rest of yourself, exercising, eating well, sleeping, all the rest of that stuff, taking care of your spouse so that the two of you are a great unit and now you've got double the resources to accomplish things. And from that strong unit, um, taking care of your kids. Your kids benefit from having that strong, secure base uh, 
that is the marital relationship. Now, kids will do well in single-parent families, and single parents are wonderful examples of just how resilient and uh, strong the human being can be. But it's also at a price. It's hard to do all of the things you need to do just by yourself. It's a whole lot easier to be a team. And most of the single parents that I work with long to have somebody that they can tag out with who can help them with all of the day-to-day activities that go on with trying to work and raise a family and deal with all the other things that you have to deal with to be in life. So work is important. It is part of taking care of yourself, and it needs to be put in its place. I also want to add that the work mentioned in taking care of yourself doesn't have to be the work that pays for your life. So, for example, I love doing art. Sometimes that feels like work to me uh, because that's just the nature of being creative. Some days it's a little bit more pushed than it is just letting it go. But that, that work for me is fulfilling. And yeah, I sell a piece every now and then, but that's not how I make my livelihood. When I make my livelihood, that's where I go to my brick and mortar building and I chat with people about their life and they pay me for it. It's great stuff. Uh, And that is also fulfilling. So I am lucky in that regard. There are many people who don't have a fulfilling job that pays for their life, but they do other work that is fulfilling, whether that be volunteering or walking (laughs) dogs for Rover. Mm-hmm. I, I was looking at that the other day. It might be fun. I want to talk a little bit more concrete about some of these, some techniques for managing your priority, your attention, and your your time. So we've talked about the the tiers of priority here, the, the gobstopper, starting with the self and then the spouse, the kids, work, extended family, friends, community. Um, but what are some ways to actually balance that? What do you do when things get out of balance? Because inevitably, there are going to be times when the kids need something and you have to ignore your spouse to handle that, or you have to work late because there's a big deadline and that's hard to balance too. So what are some ways to deal with those inevitable disruptions in life? I think a first step for that is allowing yourself grace to be imperfect. All of these relationships are complex in so many ways. And that relationship with yourself comes first. So many of us want to be that super person who has the job and has the partner and has the kids and the house and everything just looks and floats perfectly. But that's not life. That's what you're talking about. It's messy. And coming at it with a perspective of being imperfect is okay, uh, is a great first step. Because if you can't allow yourself to make mistakes, to get messy, to step on somebody's toes, uh, you, you're going to crack and it's going to hurt and it's going to be messy, uh, in a whole different way than the messy you're referencing. And I agree with you, Kim. That's a, that's a really important aspect of being able to keep your balance. And if you think of that balance more like a dynamic balance, like the one that you have when you're riding a bicycle. Part of how you keep your balance when you're riding a bicycle is by the movement forward. Uh, And when you take a curve, you need to lean into it and know 
just how far to lean so you don't fall over and not to stay too upright so you don't fall over in the other direction. Uh, and you can keep your momentum going forward. The, the metaphor translates into a relationship with good communication. So if I know that there's a big project at work and it's going to take up a bunch of time, um, some of the computer guys that I work with, uh, they know that they're going to have a rollout or a launch of a product. And the week right before the launch is going to be you know, 12, 14-hour days. Uh, that's an unusual event. They can communicate that to their spouse. Their spouse can go, okay, I've got more of the work at home in order to balance this dynamically. But that's not a permanent state. And when that finishes, it's my responsibility to come back and relieve the extra burden that my spouse has picking, picked up during that time while I was doing it. Challenge becomes when you get two professionals who both have got stressed out lives at the same time, and there's still a dynamic balance found through communication, cooperation, and looking for solutions. So that's how you actually tactically do the balance as things change. And that's also a great example of taking care of your spouse before your kids, before your family, to handle that dynamic change and help balance work out to be better for everyone. There you go. The layers of priorities kind of remind me of the Lao Tzu passage that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Is that related here? So it's that sort of ripple effect as well you know, taking care of yourself and it rippling outward, it's kind of the same idea, right? It's exactly the same idea. So as a matter of fact, its origins are from Lao Tzu. And they've come through actually several other philosophical um, descriptions, but that's the earliest one that I can find. Uh, I'm interested if any of our listeners know of any earlier references to this kind of organization. Um, but it really has to do with how potent you can be in transforming your world by sorting your priorities and paying attention to them, dynamically balancing through all of the shifts and changes in your life to keep these priorities as close to um, what your target is as you can. I think that, that target's really interesting too. I mean, you have to know what you want as well, which of course is all comes back to your own behavior, your own change. You have to make these decisions, but there's a lot, there's a lot to know. There's a lot to decide. You have to figure out what are these priorities of mine? I mean, we can tell you the order in which they should go and how to manage them, but it's up to you to decide what they actually are. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be different for different people. They are. They are. I've worked with couples who have chosen, they don't want to have children for lots and lots of different reasons. And so that changes the dynamics of their couplehood. I have several folks that I've worked with who've chosen to be single their entire lives. And that, that is their, that's their preferred way of being in the world, and they don't have children. That changes these priorities too. So it's not like this is set, if you don't do this, you're bad or wrong. These, if you have the structure of a spouse, and children, and work, and all the rest of these things, this is a way of thinking about balancing all of those elements. But even if you don't have some of these layers, this, this system still works because you exist, so you have yourself, and then you have, I mean, unless you're a complete hermit, you have some people that you interact with in your life, you have relationships. So there's at least some level of you, a wider group of people, and then a community around you. Yeah. I mean, you live somewhere. 
Mm-hmm. So there's a community, even if you don't interact with it very often. Sure. So, I mean, this still applies yes. across anybody. Right. And even a hermit has to actively avoid other people. <laughs> That's a choice. That's a choice. <laughs> it's a behavior. Yes, it is. And behavior is truth. There it is. So there you have it, folks. How to prioritize your life in easy steps. In a gobstopper. Just make it into a gobstopper. You know, when you stop and think about these things, and I have a tool for you, if you go and click in our uh, show notes, um, there's a tool for you analyzing where are you putting your time and attention. And it really measures where you're putting your time first. There's, you'll have to be subjective about uh, how much of your attention goes with each of those things. So in it, you'll see a sheet of paper that you can print out that has some basic areas that almost everybody uh, puts their attention to, and then some uh, open areas where you can label specific things that are there for you. Find 100 pennies, um, or 96 pennies, I'm sorry, it's 96 pennies, because if you take a full week and you carve it down into 15-minute blocks, there are 96 15-minute blocks. I don't, I'm just going to go out and say it. I don't have 96 pennies. You can tear up pieces of paper. There we go. Or use paper clips. Why don't you have 96 pennies? Because what he's a millennial do and doesn't carry cash. Except for break my week into 15-minute sections, which I can do on my phone. Maybe, no, you can't do it on your phone. This requires actual a physical thing. So 96 pieces of paper might work. The pennies are better. Poker chips are even better. Better yet, 96 bottles of beer. If you get out... <laughs> no, you can't stack those, and, and my piece of paper is not big enough. If you get out the poker chips, you're really gambling. Right. So, it, it, gentle, gentle listener, if you don't have any of those things, stop by my office, and I'll do the activity with you. Um, <laughs> I've got poker chips. I've got it all. Um, he has it all. He has 96 pennies for everybody. I do. I have 96 pennies that people can share. In any case, you look at each of these activities and you look at how many 15-minute blocks are you committing to each of these different areas. And it's a wonderful visual way of seeing where you're actually putting your time and attention. This week we talked about the layers of priority that you have in your life, starting with yourself and expanding outward to the community around you. And then we talked a little bit about some ways to prioritize those things and how to rebalance and dynamically balance when life inevitably throws you a curveball. You know, I think next time, actually, I would love to talk a bit about, uh, to continue the conversation about attention and time because of the way they're related and some of what we were talking about uh, in terms of using tools to figure out where you are spending your time and where you're spending your attention and how those two things are different and the role of technology in that. Because I think a lot of us spend a lot of time on our phones, on our computers, on the internet. And it's those things are in many, many ways designed to absorb your time and attention. And I think that's a really interesting dynamic when you start thinking more deliberately about how much time am I spending looking at my phone? And why am I looking at my phone? What am I getting out of this? Why does this deserve my attention? And where does that fit on my layers of priority? So I think next week we will be talking more about attention and time and the role of technology in those things. Thank you for listening to The Relationship Road Trip. You can find more episodes of this podcast at your favorite podcast source. 
If you have questions or topics you'd like us to consider, email us at questions at afpsych.com. We look forward to hearing from you. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology. You can learn more about their services at azevedofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. For more information, visit bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back, and may the sun shine warm upon your face. <laughs>